Cinemondo Podcast, Episode 1, with Kathy, Mark, and Burke, recorded in sunny Hollywood, California. We're going to talk about movies. Horror, sci-fi, unusual, ignored, overlooked. The idea is to take you down some alleys and back roads you may have missed and introduce you to some movies we like and love. And some will warn you to stay away from. We love movies, and if you want to sit in with us at Cinemondo, come on in. Today we're going to talk about a classic horror film and a new one. Brian De Palma's Carrie and MFA. But first, who are you guys and how did we all meet? Hi, Burke. Hey. Hi, Mark. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark. And uh, Have we welcome. met before? Gosh, we've known each other for a few years. Yeah, just a couple. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you a quick background. Uh, I met Kurt, uh, Burke and Kathy um, at the same time at a lunch way back when uh, in a conference room. And I'm a very quiet guy, usually shy, and I'm just sitting there eating my uh, sandwich. And we're just talking about whatever. What kind of sandwich was it? It was a bologna sandwich. That was my thing. No, it wasn't bologna. I don't know what it was. It wasn't something good. Um, and we're, I know, we were just talking about movies. And I had seen Evil Dead 2 the night before. That will probably date the story. But it's okay. Uh, I'm streaming. And... Uh, and I said, has anybody seen Evil Dead 2? It was amazing. And then Kathy and Burke's eyes lit up. And they basically said, yes, it was incredible. It and then, was. And then the friendship sort of, uh, that was, that was the, 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 the uh, you know, how we started chatting about movies. Well, because usually, and I'm sure, you know, other people have experience, especially if you're horror fans, is that when you bring up a horror movie, people kind of look at you weird. Or they go, I don't like violence. Or it stresses me out. I don't like to be scared. But when you meet that special person who likes that, okay, now we're talking. Yeah, no, I think for me, it's... It's an escape. It is for everybody who watches a horror movie. And we watch it for different reasons. But uh, I just get, to me, the stakes are high when you watch a horror movie. And I think fun. horror yeah. movies fulfill a primal need. What it goes is- back to our evolution. We spent so much of our evolution being terrified of predators. And I think we get it in our heads. We got it in our genetic memory that we're only really alive when we're scared. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> uh, we're only alive when we're about to die <laughs> well I get it you get sort of it's the stakes are high in a horror movie that's the way I look at it so uh, uh, I just like the thrill of it it's a roller coaster for me I mean you know all different the movies are different you get different experiences out of them but Evil Dead 2 was fun cause it was fun yeah, the first movie was really kind of grueling and intense and this was sort of a little more a little goofier and just brought out Sam Raimi's you know direction I was like it just charged me you know and I think, you know, humor with horror is kind of essential because when you watch some horror movies, they're so grim and grim has its place. But it really helps when when the filmmaker knows that you need just a little moment of relief and they throw in a little humor in there. I mean, Evil Dead 2 is more than a little, but yeah. um, it's nice to have just a little bit of a wink in there because ultimately, I don't know if horror movies are really trying to scare us. I don't know. I I'm not really scared by horror movies. I think I'm more appreciative of the the craft and the the i don't i don't know exactly i've never been able to really explain why i like horror movies and why that's okay <laughs> it's hard to analyze and i think maybe some of it comes from when we were kids and it, and they were so taboo they were so out of reach you know when we were young it was is harder for for us to see these movies i remember you know sneaking into the theater 
you know, classic Norman Rockwell painting, I guess, of a kid sneaking into a theater. <laughs> and you had to sneak. I mean, you didn't have to sneak in to see Pinocchio, so, but I had to. I mean, it was it was harder to see The Exorcist or The Omen or something like that or Clockwork Orange or one of those movies that I saw probably when I was too young to see it. What was what so so Mark, what was the first horror movie you remember? Well, you know, I was sort of sheltered as far as movies. I was afraid of, you know, Herman Munster coming when he came through the door. I mean, I really was. I was behind <laughs> my door going, I can't and this is too much for me, you know. So, um but the first movie I saw at the theater uh was a horror movie it was uh Halloween it was my first R-rated movie. Wow, when I was that's a good one. Yeah, and I was blown away by the experience. It's still one of my favorite movie-going experiences. It was just fun. People were screaming at the audience, and it was just really, I was charged up. I walked out saying, I've got to see more of these. And uh, I was just too afraid of seeing an R-rated movie before. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't do that. But then that opened up the door for me, and I've seen, you know, thousands since. See, that's an interesting observation, too, because the horror wasn't scary. You feel kind of, in a way, kind of united with people and a sort of excitement about the bad guy getting caught. Yes. It's, yeah. it's more almost exciting than really scary. I think that's sort of the idea, But too. you've never been scared? Like, you've never put your hand in front of your face, uh, uh, you know? Uh, I'm afraid of my hand, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, I mean yeah, there are movies that disturb. I guess more disturbed than scared. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. Um, Burke, what was your first horror movie you remember as a kid? It's hard to say because there were some movies that had the effect of horror on me when I was a kid. I, I, for me, a lot of my memories were television when I was, you know, a kid sneaking out of bed and turning on the TV and watching late night, you know, chiller theater or whatever it was. But a lot of times, the movies that that gave me that sort of scary freak out feeling as a kid were things like Jason and the Argonauts, the skeleton fight at the end of that, you know, and just the, I think it was just the magic of the fantasy of it, you know, the seeing things that don't exist in the real world and wondering what is that and how does that happen? How how is that working? And I think, I think that feeling, I think that's one of the things that makes horror or science fiction or fantasy films work so well is because they give us that a look into the unreality of something happened that can never really happen you know like ghosts and yeah but what was the first one you really remember making like an imprint that you went wow that was scary and you still think about like a scene or a little thing in your head that you're like that's the first thing i remember that was scary on movies or tv like i don't know one of those old anthology one of those amicus anthology films maybe on late night like asylum or That um, Black Sabbath, that Mario Bava film. Oh, um, yeah, that was so good. With the old lady. Remember the old lady in the bed? It was creepy. I'll have to watch this one again. But it's like a Mario Bava film. Mm -hmm. And I think I remember that face, reading something about that face, was sculpted by his dad. I think his dad actually sculpted this this sort of a dummy head. And it's... That was an image that stuck with me. Also, when I was a kid, I watched things like uh, these TV movies, and they always seemed to have Richard Matheson's name on them. Like Night Gallery? Night Gallery oh, used oh, to scare yeah. me. Yeah, well, there's one where, uh, not, not to interrupt, but there's one where he, uh, there's a guy who's afraid of spiders. Do you remember yeah, that episode? Yeah, the and giant he, spider. And there's a giant spider in his bed, <laughs> and I remember seeing that when I was, uh, you know, maybe I was maybe nine, whatever, a long time ago, and I flipped out. Yeah. You know, it was like really affected me. Well, there's a short film that that uh, I think is is 
in the hall of fame of of, of <laughs> television horror and it's one part of a trilogy and it's the the uh, the movie was called trilogy of terror and there were there were three stories and they all had karen black in them and the and the first two i think were kind of interesting evil twin kind of stories but the last one has stuck with me from my entire life and everybody who saw it back then i think agrees it was it, it was um called prey and it was based on a Richard Matheson story. And it's the one with the Zuni fetish doll chasing her around her oh, apartment. Yeah. That was a great one. It's basically, and one of the things I realized about it when I was a kid, it's like this is one actress in a room with a puppet on a stick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's chasing her around the room. And you could t- you could kind of tell there was a guy shaking it off just <laughs> off camera. And it was this little prop doll thing that they were, the, and, and but it was her performance and the, just the nature of the story and just the weirdness of the story, it was almost funny. It, the face on the thing was almost like this caricature of a scary monster face with all these teeth. But that, for some reason, stuck with me. I still hear those little feet. I always remember like, oh, yeah. when the, the doll was running around the house, there's a little patter, 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 patter. It was like so Fred strange. Flintstone running down the hallway. <laughs> I actually watched it not too long ago. You can actually watch the whole uh, thing on YouTube. It's, yeah. like, it's a short and it's like maybe 15 minutes yeah. long or 20 minutes long. But it's a really well-directed piece. It is. The pacing you know. of it and just the ideas of how to, how to show something like that. Like, what do you... You know, when you're limited, you have one actress, one room, and a puppet on a stick. <laughs> and what are you going to do with that? How are you going to make somebody feel what's happening in your story? Don't you sort of feel like that's almost sort of the same um, thinking when it came to Jaws? Because in a way, Jaws was sort of like, they had to kind of keep it in the background. You couldn't see it too much for most of the movie because it was like the puppet on the stick. Like you had to, And the more secret, the less you see of it, the scarier it was. So it's almost like the footprint, the foot foot feet running around the house was yeah. scarier than actually seeing the doll right. jumping on her. You know, just like the shark was scarier when you didn't really see it than seeing it actually eat Quint. And of course, you know, being have a great director like Spielberg, if you watch any of the Jaws sequels, they're just not scary because yeah. it's poor. I mean, it's just there's just some non there's a, you know illogical scenes like they'll have a. Shot, a shot of the fin, above, you know, yeah. going, and then the next shot is a point of view of the shark. Right, the eyes are out of the water. The camera is out of the <laughs> yeah. water, but that yeah. doesn't make any logical sense. It's like the fin has it, eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you go, oh, it just sort of kills it, you know. Uh, for well, a it's lot of it's the it's the thing of like a the difference between a person who knows how to tell a story with a camera and someone who doesn't. You know, Spielberg took a camera and a relatively low budget and a really simple story. I mean, when you think about it, what's the premise of Jaws? A shark is killing people. Mm-hmm. And take that premise. Like with um, Trilogy of Terror, the premise, a woman is being chased around by a puppet on a stick. <laughs> well, and the thing and, is, you care about the victims. You yeah. Know? And I think the, what makes Jaws and even, you know, the, the Karen Black short is that you cared about these people and you didn't want to see them get hurt. So mm-hmm. I think that really is what sells it. So when you see horror movies, a lot of times I think what makes them fail or not is whether you care about the people. Absolutely. Yeah. And that should bring us to our first film. Hey, our first film. Let's How's talk that about for a segue? Movie. Are we talking about Carrie? We're talking about Carrie. Carrie. Can uh, we just like pause for a moment and think about how that movie is 40 years old? 
It was made in 76, <laughs> right? Old, yeah. 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 And, way before I was born, but I yeah. still <laughs> like it, you know, I, even though it's an old movie. Old. Now, did you, any of you read the book before you saw the movie yep. or after or at, at, at all? I did not. I saw the movie before I read the book. Me too. I read the book. You read the book before yeah. you saw the movie. Yeah. I was on to Stephen King instantly, like when it came out. I read mm-hmm. Carrie when it came out. And I think parents were a little worried because, you know, it was a book for kids. <laughs> I think my first Stephen King book was Salem's Lot. And oh, then I went back and read Carrie later. I think I read Carrie later because for some reason I, when I started reading Carrie, it was all told with like news, newspaper articles and things like that. And for some reason I couldn't get into it. So I think I read Salem's Lot and The Shining before I ever read Carrie. But the movie sort of became... When I think of Carrie, that's what I think of is Brian De Palma's right. film version right. of it. I don't yeah. really think about the book too much. Yeah. Whereas yeah. with The Shining, even as much as I love The Shining, the film, I still um, think about the book as being The Shining. Maybe because you read it before you saw the movie. Yeah. I think that helps. I mean, you know, I feel the same exact way. The Shining was my first Stephen King book. And uh, it's still, even though I love Kubrick's film, it's just a different thing. Yeah, it's not the book. It's just a as different thing. Stephen King will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Carrie for me was a was I, I think one of the reasons I liked it was because it resembled my high school <laughs> years, <laughs> in a way, you know. And were you a prom queen? <laughs> almost, but um, somebody had this bucket. <laughs> I just it was embarrassing, but well, they paid know, for it. Something that was interesting about that movie that I was thinking about later, because um, I, I was watching it sort of recently, is that that movie is almost entirely built on the female characters, which most horror movies aren't. So when you think about all the principal characters and all the plot forwards are all about the women, the men are almost incidental. Like a lot of them are catalysts, like Carrie going out to the you know prom with the prom king and all that. But mostly it was you know, women driving the story, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. because you wouldn't think of Brian De Palma as a guy who would, you know, be putting this really um, thoughtful kind of psychological profile into a movie like that, which I think carries almost more of that than a horror movie. Right. But you know, during that time in the seventies, I mean, when I think of my favorite horror films of all time, there are women it's it's interesting like the exorcist rosemary's baby you know Mm. even the haunting of julia things like that it always kind of focuses on the woman and i just recently watched don't look now and uh which is it's 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 basically about her yep and right i think i don't know women women are sometimes depicted as the victims and all that and i think they are victims in a lot of these movies i mean rosemary was certainly a victim of her horrible husband, but the camera stays with her in that film. And with Carrie, the camera stays with Carrie. You know, we're, we, we see Carrie's private moments. We see Carrie alone in her bedroom. We see her having these experiences and her relationship with her mother is, is, is an exaggeration of what a lot of teenagers feel like their relationship with their parents are, you know, we kind of feel like they're telling me what to do. They're not going to let me do what I want. They don't not let me hang out with my friends. But the tragedy of Carrie is that her exaggerated, oppressive, authoritarian mother, you know, fundamentalist nutcase. The, the sad part of that movie to me is the fact that her mother was right. She shouldn't have gone to the prom. She should not have gone to the prom. It was evil. 
Yeah. <laughs> and but the thing is, the evil was in Carrie. You know, it was the fact that she couldn't handle what happened. Like, you know, she couldn't control this special ability she had. Like, you know, it's like somebody who has a special ability, and the problem with the with her story, with Carrie's story, the sad part of it is that she had this special thing, and she got pushed over the edge, and she had to. She had to do that uh, la- that that ending scene where everything goes split screen. <laughs> well, you know, uh, but we can take that back to the mother because I don't think Carrie's power is in- inherently evil. Right. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that the the power came to her when she started menstruating in that great dreamy, weird shower scene. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she had the power. So in a way, I feel like they were sort of trying to make a correlation between that and the powers. So... I think if her mother had been um, a you know, better mother, first of all, and didn't make Harry, even before she got the powers, feel like she was evil or a sinner or unclean or whatever, because she was constantly being punished, she might have been able to handle a power like that instead of going full nuclear at the <laughs> at the prom. Well, the things her mom says to her, the things that she that her mom scolds her for are, are things that are the result of Carrie becoming a woman, you know, she, the, you know, the blood and I can see your dirty pillows and you know, all those things. It's like, they're, they're called breasts, mama. Yeah. Yeah. And well, she was shamed her whole life. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe we should, I mean, I'm, we're assuming everyone has seen this movie. Well, which I assume. So maybe Mark, do you want to like give a quick synopsis of the movie for people who are Well, listening? basically Carrie is the sheltered high school, um, kid who lives with her oppressive fundamentalist religious mother and uh, she's sort of the outcast in the opening scene it's you know there it's the girls the volleyball game and she blows you know the point or whatever and loses the game and then everybody's in the shower and she starts menstruating in the shower she has no idea what's happening she thinks she's dying and and so everybody's making fun of her. Hey, it's your first period, and and of course uh, Betty Buckley, who plays the gym teacher, the uh, gym teacher, sort of like talks to her and tries to become her friend. But Carrie is just weird to everybody else, and uh, you know. And as the story goes on, uh, she uh, Amy Irving and William Cat play this uh, this high school couple, and they're sort of uh, they look at Carrie and they feel bad for her. So Amy says to William, "Why don't you invite her to the prom? Be her date." And and his I think his name was Tommy. Being a good guy, he says sure I'll do it. And he is a good guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's got some incredible hair. The scariest thing in the movie <laughs> is that hair. You know. And the tux. <laughs> and the tux. So anyway, uh, we go through the story and they go to the prom, and uh, that's when all the mayhem happens. Well, uh, one of the girls, one of the girls, Chris Harginson, who's like one of the greatest film characters of all time. Nancy Allen plays uh, this vindictive awful amalgamation of every bad thing every teenage girl ever was basically every cheerleader i ever knew yeah and hated she hates carrie because carrie basically got them in trouble and right so so chris and her her boyfriend john travolta uh they want to ruin everything so they they fix the they fix the prom uh queen announcement with fake ballots and whatever so that carrie will win 
And, you know, spoilers, if you haven't seen a 40-year-old movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, can turn, we just put that right up front if you're listening to this? Watch the movies first. Turn it we off. we will talk <laughs> spoilers. We are going to talk about Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Okay. And we won't spoil movies that we think you may not have seen. But well, old we classics, might spoil but, them a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, Carrie gets, uh, they, they play an awful, really horrible prank on Carrie. And uh, and uh, she she loses it. She feels like everybody's against her everybody's laughing at her so she uses her telekinetic powers which i don't think we mentioned she has telekinetic powers <laughs> <Did> we mentioned <laughs> that and she uses these these crazy powers to basically turn the prom you know the gymnasium where the where the prom is happening into this really cool depiction this Her- hieronymus bosch hell where people die in these sort of biblical ways you know when you look at the way everybody dies it's almost like i mean the 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 she activates the fire hoses and they become serpents, you know, and there's water. There's like the flooding. There's all these different biblical things. Fire. And fire yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and also just by, just to interrupt, you know, uh, just the scene where the blood is on her face and she, and the look, uh, uh, CC Spacek, you know, oh, who plays so Carrie is so amazing to me yeah. that her look, is just this evil personified. And the music. It's classic. It's really that's the scene for me in that yeah, movie. Yeah. Brian De Palma, the way he shoots that whole scene with the split screen, slow motion. You know, how, if you've seen De Palma movies, you know what it is. Yeah. Slow camera work. And I eat that stuff up. He's and one that, of my favorite directors. But anyway. That droning soundtrack, it just goes. Yeah. And everything just goes slow motion. And everything becomes almost like this, this weird fantasy of death and fire and destruction and she she basically just walks in a straight line from from where her the horrible thing happens to her the blood hits her and she walks in a straight line to the door and everything moves out of her way the like the red sea parting you know yep. mm-hmm. and she the doors open and she goes out into the night you know and she goes home and she apologizes to her mother and she basically says you were right you know you were right and her mother says yes i know i was right and you're 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 evil and her mother kills her stabs her and her daughter in the back it's a it's such a dark ending and such a dark idea and i guess it's a very stephen king kind of a story where the sometimes the bad guys win sometimes the bad ideas the bad ideologies you know the carrie's mother's horrible worldview <laughs> Actually, in that situation, turn, she turned out to be absolutely correct in that Carrie should not have gone to the prom. She shouldn't have hung out with, with these friends. Everything went upside down because she disobeyed her mother. Well, you know, also, I, I want to throw it out there, too, is that it wasn't the whole school that hated her at that point. I right. feel like when she went to the prom, I, she was transformed. She was beautiful. And Everybody everyone loved was her. kind of supporting her at that point. The only person was... The horrible Chris Hard Hargens Hard, you know, Nancy Allen, yeah. and she's the one that that basically turned on the the horror later. But Nancy, uh, but Amy Irving's character was trying to stop her. So I feel and they also have that sort of quick kind of you know almost you almost don't notice it is that when Carrie looks out, she sees all her worst you know worst nightmare come true. Everyone laughing and thinking she's so funny. But then when you see what's really happening. Everyone's aghast. They're yeah, just like, right. no, they're with her. I mean, you're the hard part is, is she the bad guy? I mean, you're, you're sympathetic to her, but at the same time, I mean, because of the way her mother raised her, she wasn't able to handle it. But I feel like 
everything she did was because her mother told her it was going to happen. So she saw what wasn't there and right. it just triggered her right off. And it's, it's a, it's a great movie full of things to discuss like this. Maybe we can do a part two, Carrie part two, where we go into some more of the details, but yeah. the, um, because it is a weird movie too. It's got like really like almost slapstick comedy yeah. stuff during the tuxedo buying scene where <laughs> yes. what, it's from a there's different like, film. Yeah. And, there's like, you know, sped up motion stuff. And chipmunk and, talk. Well, and st- stuff. Yeah. Stuff is very, I mean, we, it's a film that was made in 1976. Yeah. And it, you sense that there's also sort of like, I wouldn't say it's gratuitous nudity, but there's a lot of nudity and, you know, sort of that kind of stuff early on. Yeah. And it's just a different sensibility from a movie that's made now. Right. But that's ma- oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was say it's also a movie. I think you cannot improve upon this movie. Yeah. They've tried. I mean, it's to me, this is probably Brian De Palma's best movie. When I think about it, he's made a lot of good movies that are fun, but Carrie is just like, pure perfect movie so when they try and make it they miss what made that movie so special it's that glossiness it's that humor it's things happening in the daylight it's there's so much about it that that people miss when they try and make it super grim like and the performances are uh, really good like piper Piper laurie is amazing did she get an academy award nomination she got nominated yeah Yeah. nominated but yeah. yeah And I think didn't Sissy Spacek get nominated too for that? I think oh, that, that film got some. There's a horror film that got some recognition at the at and the, Travolta sort of his first sort of uh, feature you know, film. Feature film, and of course De Palma used him again in uh, Blowout, right? Which uh, is one of my favorite De Palma. You probably films. should do a Brian De Palma. Oh, oh yeah, that would be that so would be. many good ones. It's good stuff. But speaking of modern day, like trying to remake things, like the the fact that this was this Carrie is. You can't improve on this one, but you can do you you can sort of do these versions of that kind of story. And you guys were telling me about this movie MFA. Yes. What's up with that? Is that what's is that you said it was kind of like Carrie in some ways? Well, it's it's a new film. It's directed by a woman, written by a woman. Um, uh, It was made in I think two thousand eighteen. Yeah, it's new. Two thousand seventeen. It's brand new. Mm -hmm. I think I saw it on Amazon Prime. I think you can find it streaming. I think there's a lot of good movies, whether whatever horror thriller, and you just have to sort of dig, you know, to find them on streaming services. Yeah. And this was one that um, we heard about that we wanted to check out. And uh, yeah, it, ha- it has, you know, it's about a college, uh, you know, student, someone who's going for her Master of Fine Arts, and she's a bit of an outcast. Uh, pre- played by Francesca Eastwood, who I do like very much. Yeah, I don't she know was if you great. saw the movie The Vault, which was kind of a hybrid uh, bank robbery yeah. horror ghost story, she was the star of that. And Didn't I they think... have the great James Franco uh, cameo. <laughs> James Franco saw. somehow was the top build, and he <laughs> probably did this thing in about twenty-seven minutes, and then took off. But um, it's an interesting. That's an interesting little movie for another day. But uh, this is about kind of an outcast uh, art student who's kind of, you know, her, her art isn't very good. She gets lambasted in class by the teacher and the you know, other students sort of critique her work kind of harshly. I have to say I, I really related to those art critiques, uh, being an art student myself. Did you? Yeah. I was like a little PTSD watching that. <laughs> um, because standing up in front of your classmates and they're all looking at you super critically and you're just, they're geared to find ways to criticize your art. It's horrifying. So that alone was scary to me. It, that was scary to me, and I've never, you know, had that done to me. But he, she basically, uh, there's a guy, you know, a good-looking guy in class, and invites her to a party, and she's interested. So, you know, 
I won't give everything away, but basically something horrible happens to her. But we can say it was a rape, uh, I think. Okay. It was like a date <laughs> rape or rape. Yeah. And um, she's obviously uh, affected by it, and she sort of becomes a vigilante and seeks out past situations where, uh, you know, frat boys or guys or whatever past were um, vindicated and got, got away with basically the same thing, and she sort of meets justice. And that's the story. Meets justice. Now... The director, I know, is it Natalie Light? Is is Natalie Light her name? Um, yeah. She, apparently, I, I heard that she was inspired by Kirby Dick's documentary called Hunting Grounds. I don't know if you guys have seen, guys have seen I that. I have but not, it's, no. It's basically about, you know, the, the rape culture in, in colleges and how, you know, it goes underreported and there's not usually any ramifications. It's like a, it's, it's an epidemic. So I think that really tapped into that aspect of, when girls are in that situation and she was drinking and she went into the room with him and you know it's like everyone's worst nightmare and so then he rapes her no one sees it and then she he walks her to the door as if it was just a date and right. you know he he thought hey we had a great time and it was all very confusing and, and she of course doesn't go to the authorities because she thinks they're not really going to believe her but she does go to like a counselor she does eventually go to the college counselor right. who also does not really right who gives a typical well were you drinking were you kind of leading him on yeah. you know and sort of she gets no she gets no you know nothing out of that right and she goes her own way. And I think it's what I liked about the movie. First of all, her performance was great. Yeah. I think um, it sort of logically progressed. Uh, and uh, you felt for her in the end. You felt the whole way. You know, you kind of wanted her to sort of do what she was doing. Well, I thought it was interesting, too, because I think she wanted when she was taking her vengeance on these guys who uh, were never convicted of their rapes that they did. Um, she wanted them to be found murdered but for some reason they kept thinking it was an accident like she accidentally pushes the guy over the railing mm-hmm. he dies so they think it's an accident so she's never really getting like due credit in a way for the murders so the only the only gripe I have really because I thought it was a really well done movie and I thought they, they it was very well um, paced in how it escalates right. you know and how you know and her she felt very um, convincing in what happened to her um, that last scene where she kidnaps the guy and takes him to the big auditorium it just all of a sudden you felt like you were in one of those stupid horror movies where they take the super high risk she's getting way too theatrical it felt way out of character it just didn't work for me i think part. the third act sort of yeah sort of lost it like they went yeah. they, they went there where they shouldn't have had done that yeah and you sort of and, and then she's you know uh whatever a valedictorian giving mm-hmm. the speech and then mm-hmm. she gets arrested and then seems yeah so the third act sort of falls apart a little bit i get it yeah. um but still overall i would recommend it especially yeah. you know uh, something online and i think she is an actress that who's um you know the daughter of uh, francis fisher and clint eastwood of course okay uh, is is someone to watch? I think she's really an interesting actress. And I think seeing a a, a rape vengeance movie like that from a female director, I think you get a different sort of sensibility on the victim predator angle mm-hmm. as opposed to the normal harm. Well, not I don't say normal, but harm, yeah. the usual yeah. run of the mill harm movies right. where women are victims, and even the like I spit on your grave types. Yeah. It still feels like a very masculine point of view. Like right. you know, it's like the person doesn't feel like they're doing it for any emotional reason as much. I mean, you get vengeance, but I feel like this had more of a um, deeper feeling and more feminine viewpoint mm-hmm. on, on that. It's not soft. It's like no. female strength, but right. still pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Really. One, one other minor grape, and this might, you know, 
might be a little bit just uh, being petty, but you know, as soon as she starts uh, committing these acts of murder, killing people, her art gets incredibly good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I think you know, they. And she paints in the nude. So, God, which I, you know, didn't hate. But, you know. oh, uh, thank you for bringing in yeah. the gross male point of view on Sorry, the. But, uh, but it was just weird that they all of a sudden her artwork gets really good. It seemed a little bit sort of. Well, I got it more as like her art got more. Because I think until then she was very emotionally removed from her art, yeah. which is sort of I got. Like she was trying to kind of. She was drawing things, but she wasn't really feeling things. But I think after that happened, she was so her, all her emotions were so close to the surface. I feel like her art was sort of starting to represent that, and people reacted to it. That's... But I also liked um, a scene where there's the one nice guy who is into her, and she she's sort of trying to assemble in some normality. It seemed like because she's so caught up in this whole rape fantasy, she wanted to kind of just have a moment of real like right. love and intimacy, but she completely freaks out on right. him right yeah and then he's all repelled like it was right. very complicated it had a lot of really cool complicated emotions going on in that movie. Mm-hmm. is this movie kind of a like a, a child of uh, ms 45 remember that movie i mean i think it's in that realm of um rape revenge movies like you're saying like i spin a grave this 45 but i think again we're getting that male point of view right of a female going on a mission to kill rapists which i think there is a, a slight subtle difference when you see it you can tell there's just there's more emotional. I think that the the revenge part is more complicated and emotional than it is in the other movies. Hmm. So it's definitely worth a look. Yeah, it's not uh, Abel Ferrara, the director of Miss Forty Five, yeah. is very sort of you know macho. Yeah, in, in, his, yeah. in, in his direction and this basically is, a man. Yeah, yeah, and this is much more. I mean, <laughs> well, it's intense. It's 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 dark. It's uh, it's it's just it's just well made, you yeah. know. But it has a little bit of a different angle, so it's mm-hmm. it gets a you know thumbs up from me. But Brian De Palma got a lot of a lot of uh, criticism about his treatment of women in his movies. But he also does, you know, when you look at Carrie, though, yeah, Carrie got it right in Carrie. Yeah. Watch Body Double. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he gets it really wrong. Even though I do like Body Double. I do, too. But then, you know, you have to wonder, is is Brian De Palma like over our heads? You know, is he making a comment on sexism or, you know, I don't know. Depends which movie you see. Yeah, I mean his his his. You know, if we're going to talk about De Palma, I mean we got to talk about the good and the bad. And right. uh, I mean I like all his movies. I watch all of them because they're interesting and they're different. Even the they're ones that well are made. even even the ones that are you know not well received. Like there was one called Femme Fatale, which right. I really like, even though it was kind of just kind of way over the top and nuts. Um, but it has that great direction. Wait, a Brian so- De Palma film was way over the top and nuts. <laughs> I know. Even more Sorry. so. Which Does one he- was that? <laughs> Did he do any movie that was maybe a little bit more sort of, you know, like, I guess... Bridges of Madison. Oh no, he didn't. He, did he didn't that. direct that one. But no, we don't didn't. want that from Brian De Palma. <laughs> well, the Untouchables. Really? That was more mainstream. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Guess, you know, there was some more he mainstream. We should save this for our Brian De Palma podcast. Okay. Well, that'll be like a four-hour marathon. <laughs> so hey, yeah. do we do we have our very first podcast in the can, people? We were blabbing, which was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking movies like we like to do. Well, hopefully, we'll get better at this. And uh, this is episode one. One. Again, and um, first one. We can go on and on, seriously. Yeah, this could be, we could make this into the, like a six hour marathon podcast, but we're going to spare you. We're going we're gonna to break them up into discrete chunks of about 35 minutes or so. Well, and, go, go um, see Carrie if you haven't seen it. Please yeah. check it out. And check out MFA too. Yeah. It's right online. So, also, we really want to hear from you guys. So, if you have a movie that you've seen and you want us to read your review online, please email us at cinemondopodcast at gmail.com. And you will be read on the air and your name mentioned. It'll be so much fun. 
And uh, yeah, so I guess maybe this is the end of the first one, right? Or is that what we're saying here? Is this the yeah. end of the first one? Okay. The end of our first podcast, but I can't wait to do the second one. Are Should we all happy with the sound of our own voices? No. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. Should we do credits, like what we're wearing? Yeah, who, who did uh, wear, uh, Kathy's gowns by... Uh, <laughs> And our suits, Botany 500, and are we are we brought to you by Geritol and Lazy Boy, and um, and banging on the table in the background is courtesy of Darwin the Pitbull. Yes, the yes. dog. We're gonna do a whole uh, podcast on him. Yeah, there might be a lot of. Uh... Well, he's got opinions. You know, he he likes movies. He actually will watch films and. He makes comments, you know. We may have to do a Darwin's pick. <laughs> like whenever you notice him like watching a movie, we'll have to review it. Yeah, and see if which ones he likes, which one he, he reacts to. Great. Cool. Well, thanks for, thanks right, for listening. Take thanks. care. We'll see you again. See you next time. This is Cinemondo signing off.